Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. Be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, when you're reading one one of the Gospels, what's the primary character in a Gospel? Don't, come on now. We can't move on until somebody gives me the answer. Good job. Jesus is the primary character in the Gospels. He's the primary character in all of Scripture, correct? From the Old Testament, from Genesis. Genesis you can see Jesus in Genesis, and then you see him revealed uh, clearly in the beginning of the New Testament in the Gospels. And so the main character of, of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus, and that's what we want to see, right? That's who we want to see. We want to see Jesus clearly, don't we? Because when we see Jesus clearly, then we can understand reality all around us. We can understand ourselves and who God's called us to be, so we need to see Jesus, right? First of all, I always do this, and I don't, cannot see at all, really, who's back there or anywhere. But I always have to call out my son. Is, where's Joel? Hey, Joel. Yeah, is Eliana here yet from the, from the, the basketball game? No? Okay. Well, she, she's probably glad she's not here because she said I was going to embarrass her. But anytime I preach at, at Home of Christian, I always do that. I just say, hey, say hi to them. Okay, so back to the message. So the, the, the study in the Gospel of Mark is all about seeing Jesus. We want to see him clearly. We want to see who he is, his character, his nature, what he stands for, what is important to him. And you know what's really a good Thing to do to help us see Jesus more clearly and to understand him better is to, to take a look at the, the disciples. When you, when you read through any of the Gospels, you'll see the disciples, the 12 disciples that, that, that followed Jesus, and those disciples are, are like us. They were flawed individuals that made lots of mistakes, put their foot in their mouth. Who's ever put your foot in your mouth uh, you know, not, not literally, but maybe some of you have. <laughs> but you said things you didn't wish you would have said. You said things that you're like, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe I said that. Anybody done that before? A few times, that's me. Sometimes I do it uh, at Living Word Church from the pulpit with the mic in my hand. I do that from time to time. And so the disciples were good at doing that. And so it is a really good exercise. If you want to know Jesus even more clear and what he values, look at the disciples and you see real quickly what they don't get correct, then you know the opposite of what they think is actually true. And so this is kind of what I want to do. There's three stories that we're going to look at. When Pastor Dominic sent me the email for what he wanted me to share, uh, I saw three big sections of Scripture. And I was like, how in the world am I going to fit all of this into one message? We got three whole stories, really probably four stories. I'm cutting out one of them, but three whole stories I got to try to cover in Mark 9 and Mark 10. And I don't preach a whole large sections of scripture on Sunday mornings. And so I tried to figure out, okay, Lord, how can I, where's the, what's the central theme here? So what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at the disciples and some poor decisions that they make, some poor perspectives that they have. And then by the time we get to the end of the message, we're going to see Jesus for his be- in his beauty, in his majesty, in his love, in his goodness, even more clear after looking at how um, mindless and sometimes uh, hard-headed the disciples are. So I'm calling this message Eternal Priorities, Eternal 
priorities. And so the, the first thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at Mark 9, at 33 through 37. Just a little backdrop before we get into those verses. Jesus has just told his disciples right before this section of Mark 9 that he's about to die. He's gone to the cross. And he, throughout his time that he walked with the disciples, he tried to let them know, hey, I am here for a specific purpose. I'm not just here to be an earthly leader. I'm not just here so you can follow me and we can have a big kingdom on this earth. I'm here for a specific purpose, and that purpose is to go to the cross. It's to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. Ultimately, it's to die for their sins. But they never really quite got it. Over and over again, and he told them one more time, he said, in this section, he said, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, but three days later, I'm going to rise again. And then it says that they're headed to Capernaum. They're headed to Capernaum. So let's read, let's read those, those scriptures, Mark 9, 33 through 37. Let's see what happens after, listen, after Jesus told the disciples what his purpose is. This is why I came. Look at what the disciples do. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, this is speaking of Jesus, he asked the disciples, what were you discussing on the way? As we traveled to Capernaum, what were you discussing on the way? But the, the disciples, they kept silent for on the way, on their journey, they had argued with one another about who was going to be the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, it's like I can just see Jesus here. Like I just told you that what I'm about to do here is not about an earthly kingdom. He sits him down again, and he says, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. So what were the disciples doing? They were arguing amongst themselves. So, I, I mean, i just using my imagination here. So I can imagine Jesus is kind of walking ahead of them, right? Because they follow Jesus. So let's just pretend they're walking. Jesus is out ahead of them. And you got the 12. They're walking, and they're arguing with each other. Like, no, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to sit at the right hand of, God, of, of Jesus whenever he's in his kingdom. And they thought they were thinking in terms of an earthly kingdom. And just before that, Jesus had told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross, but three days later, I'm going to rise. But it just didn't get in through, into their head. They didn't understand it. And so on the way, they're thinking, this guy has got to be one of the greatest earthly leaders that, have, that has ever lived because of the miracles he's doing, because of the power that he speaks to us. And so clearly, I want to be the vice president. I want to be next to Jesus when he's on his throne. And so they're fighting amongst themselves. So this is the first thing, the first picture of us as we see ourselves through these disciples. The first thing we see about people. So we're all people here, right? We're not animals. We're all people. People will fight for power and influence. That's what we see clearly in these disciples, that people will fight for power and influence. You see it in the disciples. Jesus tells them that my kingdom is not of this earth. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to pay for the sins of humanity. And right after that, they start fighting and arguing. Who's get gotten in an argument with a really close friend? Yeah, we all get. Who gets in an argument with your brother or your sister? Do you love them? That's my question. <laughs> Do you love them? I asked, I asked Joel and Ellie, is, 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 is Ellie here? There's my sweet Elle Bell. Just in time for me to embarrass her. 
All right. My sweet L Bell, that's what I call her. L Bell. I'm sorry, Ellie. I just gave you a nickname publicly. Oh, chef. Sometimes I ask Joel and Ellie, do you, do you actually love each other? Like, don't, don't you realize that, that, that y'all are blood relatives here? You're supposed to love each other? So I don't know how the disciples were arguing, but they were arguing, and their specific purpose for arguing was so that they can be the greatest. They're trying to outdo each other. No, I'm going to be next in line with Jesus. I'm going to be the one that's in charge. I'm going to be the one that is, is Jesus' right-hand man. People will fight for position and power. That's what you see. That's, the, that's human history. That's human history. Throughout human history, people are fighting. They're pushing. They're striving to get to the top. They're striving to make the most money. They're striving to be an influencer. They're striving to influence. Who's ever heard of, of, of a social media influencer? That's a, that's a new, like, what is that? When, where, where did that come from? That's like a new title over the last decade, a social media influencer. How many of you follow social media influencers on Instagram or, or on Snapchat or on, y'all aren't on Facebook, are you? That's for your mom and dad or your grandparents? That, that's how your grandparents check you. That's how your parents follow you is if you're on Facebook, but you secretly have the Instagram stuff, right? So they don't follow you there. So who's ever heard of Cameron Davis? Nobody's heard of Cameron Davis? Okay, all right. He has like 21.3 million followers on Instagram. How about Kylie Jenner? Yeah, of course, everyone's heard of Kylie Jenner. Kylie, Kylie Jenner just sold her beauty product company for over $600 million last week. How old is Kylie Jenner? 20 years. I think I was reading an article in Forbes uh, online article. It said that she's the youngest billionaire in history, self-made billionaire. So you've heard of her. How about Cristiano Ronaldo? He's a social media influencer. He has over 144 million followers on Instagram. How about Zach King? Anybody heard of Zach King? He's kind of like about my age, mid to late 30s. He's like a dad with kids. But he's like got over 20, 30 million followers on Instagram. How about Nash Greer? You heard of Nash Greer? Yeah? Yeah, so, so these are social media influencers. These are people that move the needle in your life and in society's life, but there's something that's under the surface behind what they're doing. And what, what, what are they what are they accomplishing? What are they after? They're after followers. They're after affirmation. It, when Kylie Jenner agrees to advertise a product for somebody on her Instagram page, one post on her Instagram page is worth $1 million. She gets paid $1 million per post. She's like, okay, you want me to advertise your product on my page? I have 100-something million followers. It's going to cost you $1 million. Isn't that amazing? But, what, but what, what's the underlying motive there? It's this idea that as people, we fight for the top. We fight for power. We fight for influence. We fight for money. We fight for position. We fight to be the best. We want to be on top. And we see it with the disciples in this story that they are the same. We have always been the same as people. We want to be the top. We want to be the best. Look, and it's okay to want to win. And if you're on a sports team and and maybe you play volleyball, football, soccer, softball, golf. Any golfers in here? Oh, I'm sad. We need to get a golf team here at, at Elevate. 
It's okay to want to win. It's okay to want to try to be the best. But there's something underlying in all of this. There's some lies that people believe. And, and so I told my wife as I was leaving the house earlier this afternoon, coming here, I said, I am leaving to go tell these young men and women of God to not believe the lies of the culture. And she said, oh, tell them, tell them, sweetheart. Go tell them to not believe the lies of the culture. And so, so these are the lies that are underlying in this idea, this mindset of fighting for the top, fighting for position, fighting for power, fighting for followers. I got to have as many followers as I can get. I got I to go viral. I got to get a YouTube channel so people can, can follow my videos and go viral and be famous. What are, the, what are the lies that people believe? These fundamental lies about, about life that cause, them, cause us all to want to fight for power and, and, and influence. Well, the first one is this, that you are the center of the universe. I hate to bust your bubble here tonight. You, even if you're an only child, are not the center of the universe. How many only, chi- how, how many only children do we have here tonight? Dominic. Pastor Dominic, you are not the center of the universe. And everyone says, no, no they, they all love you, Pastor Dominic. But it, that is, that's a lie of our culture that's subtle. And, it, and you know, that, that's from the very beginning. Think about Satan. When Satan rebelled against God, he was a, he was a worship leader. He was Lucifer before he became Satan. He was a worship leader of heaven. He was beautiful. He made beautiful music, but he got filled with pride because he, he wanted to be the center of the universe. He wanted to be greater than God. He said, I'm going to ascend higher than God. I'm going to ascend to a higher place than God, and I'm going to take his glory and be glorious and be big and be powerful. And God said, okay, that's what you think is going to happen. And God threw him out of heaven. And so from the beginning of the first rebellion against God, that is what has stained the human race. His temptation came to Adam and Eve. And ultimately, it was the big lie to add to, to Eve that you can be like God. You can be the center of the universe. And that's what we do in this life today as human beings. Sometimes we don't think we believe those lies. But that's what ends up happening when we feel like we need to fight for power, and that we have to have position and influence and popularity. It's because we somehow believe that we need to be the center of the universe. Another lie that we believe is that life is about fulfilling your desires. That's another lie. You know, life is not about having the greatest pleasures that you can have in, in this life. That's what people will tell you, that you need to pursue pleasure. You need to pursue your greatest desires, that you deserve to have all of your desires fulfilled and met in this life. It's a lie. Here's another lie that people believe that causes them to fight for success and prominence and, and followers, is that this is a lie. My value comes from what I possess. Or secondly, in line with that, my value comes from what I do, from my success, from what I do, from possessions. And that's a lie that we believe, that if somebody has a a big house, a lot of money, and a nice car, what's your favorite car? Nice nice car. A Bugatti? A Chevrolet? Now, come on now. You know what my favorite car is? What I would really like? I would like... um, if I wasn't a pastor and I wouldn't be judged for pulling up at the church in this car, because that is the reality of what would happen, even though I could buy a used one for about $24,000, uh, I would like I would like a BMW four-door car. But I can't, because y'all would judge me. Wouldn't you judge me? I would. 
Y'all would say, look at that prosperity preacher driving up in that BMW. I, I love BMWs. Jim, you wouldn't judge me? <laughs> all, right, all, right, all right, all right. So look, look. It's not about what I possess. It's not about the amount of money that I have. It's not about whether if you're considered rich or you're poor or you have a lot or you have little. None of, none of, none of those things, whether you have a lot of money, the car that, 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 you, that you dream to have, the, the, uh, the, the most popular friend, being the most popular person, all those things, that does not determine who you are. Your value is not set based upon who you, who you become, what you do, what you accomplish, the amount of money in your checking account. Because here's the reality. The reality is, is that Kylie Jenner and the $600 million that she just made, she's going to have to leave behind one day. Because she's going to die one day like all of us die. Because we are not eternal here on earth. And one of these days, if she holds on to that money for a long time when she dies, people are going to fight for that money after she's gone. So your possessions don't make you who you are. Your value is not centered on that. Here's another thing. Here's just a summary of, of all these lies. It, it culminates in this. If I accomplish my dreams, if I have the things I want, if I gain fame and notoriety, I will be fulfilled in this life. It's a lie. It is a lie. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12. Listen to this. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Listen to this. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And the man said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones so I can accumulate more stuff. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and all my other goods. I can store my BMW and I can store my my uh, most expensive golf clubs they are going to help my golf game. I can store all the stuff that I like, that I need, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? It's exactly what I'm telling you. You can accumulate all the stuff you want, but at the end of the day, we're all fools if we believe that that is what this life is all about. It's not about fighting for position, power, and possession. It's not what life is about, but that's what we do as people, right? We spend our lives in that circle, fighting for position and power. And look at verse 21. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. That's what it's about. Accumulate all the things that you want, but at the end of the day, if you don't have, you're not rich your relationship with God, all of, it is for, all of it means nothing. All right? That's the, first, that's the first point here. This is the first picture of the disciples in the, in the book of Mark. They're arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest. So let's go on to the next point here, the next picture of these flawed disciples, flawed like you and I. Let's go to Mark 10. And there's kind of two, there, there's one story, but there's two accounts. There's one in Mark 10, and then there's one in Matthew 20. Let's look at Mark 10, 35 through 37. So, Again, the disciples are at it again. But it's two disciples specifically that start to fight and argue and try to maneuver their way in to power. Mark 10, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Isn't that bold? 
came up to Jesus and said, hey, can you do for us whatever we want? And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So let's, let's, take, let's take a step back and let's think back to the first part in Mark 9. The disciples are on their way to Capernaum. They're arguing amongst themselves. They're, no, I'm going to be first. I'm going to be first. I'm going to be the one in power. And then James and John says, okay, I've got a plan. I think this is what we can do. James was the half-brother of Jesus. So James says, I think that I can get favor with Jesus because he's, he's, he's kind of like my family. Even though I don't really like him very much because he's kind of like the special child that, that, that our mother really loved a whole lot. But, but we're family, so certainly he'll let me in to be a, in a position of power in, in his kingdom. In Matthew, you see the full picture of, of this story. So James and John didn't just go by themselves. Matthew 20 says that they took their mother with them to go to Jesus. So they argue on the way. Listen, they argue on the way with the other disciples about who's going to be the greatest. James and John says, I've got a plan. We're going to get mommy, and we're going to go to brother Jesus, and we're going to see if we can get some, the inside track. Look what Matthew 20 says. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, James and John, kneeling before him. He was a great man. He's a leader, great rabbi, great teacher, kneeling before him. It's like this posture of begging. She asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? What, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. So here's the second thing that people do that we see played out in the life of these disciples. First, they will fight for position and power like we saw in Mark 9. Secondly, people will use others for their own agenda. People will use others for their own agenda. So I don't know who's using who in this story. Is it the mother using James and John? Or is it James and John using the mother? We don't know for sure which direction that's going. But one thing we know for sure is that people will use other people, take advantage of other people to get what they want, to get what they are after. People will maneuver. They will manipulate. They will take advantage of. They will cover up. They will lie. They will do whatever is necessary to have what they want if it means stepping on the neck of somebody else to get there, using them, taking advantage of them. That's what people do. They will make up a new set of moral standards to, sit, to suit their agenda. It's okay. It's okay if I push that person to the side because I have a goal. i got to fight for position. i got to fight for power. This person's not valuable. They're just a means to my own end. They're just a means to, for me to be satisfied, for me to have my desires met. This is the story of humanity over and over again. We're flawed, we're sinful, and we will use people to get what we want, to fulfill our desires. If we're not careful, people can just become something that we use to get what our heart desires. People become a means to our own end. Mark 10 continues on with this story, and the disciples were angry at James and John. Listen to this, Mark 10, verse 41, and when the ten heard it, these are the same ones that were arguing. You know why I think they were mad at James and John? Because they thought, this is just my opinion, they thought, man, they got the inside track. I, I wish we had the inside track. When the ten heard it, they began to be in, indignant, which means they were angry. They were mad at James and John. And Jesus, here comes Jesus. He calls 
them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, those who are considered rulers over people, they, they lord, they exercise authority over them. And their great ones exercise, exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great, be in a position of power and authority, you must, they must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, again, in the face of the disciples being the disciples, in the face of the, the disciples being who we all are, which are flawed human beings who are after our own agenda, he tells them, here you are trying to manipulate and control and maneuver your way into position and power, and you're willing to take advantage of other people to do it. You're willing to use other people to get what you want. Jesus says, if you really want to be great, you have to serve somebody else. You have to be in a position that, you, that you're after their own best interests. You're there to make sure that, that, that's, that the people in your life, your brother, your sister, your friends, your, 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 your people, the, the people in your class at your school that, that aren't your friends, that maybe you don't really like very much, somebody that's great is the person who looks at those people and says that they have value, and they're not just there to be the... the uh, I don't know if I can say this. I can say the butt of the joke. I don't know if y'all know what that means. The butt of the joke. Um, that's like a, what, what generation is that from? The butt, the butt of the joke, yeah. Old people generation. That, 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 that means that, that you say a joke at, at, at their expense. They're not just there for you to get a cheap laugh because they're the, they're the outcast, they're the outsider. You, know, you don't just use people to put them down because it makes you look great. That's what Jesus is saying, that you're trying to be great, but, but you guys are missing the whole point. If you want to be great, you have to be someone who serves others. People are more than just a way for us to have what we want. People are more than just a way for us to find satisfaction in this life. You know, there's an industry in the world today. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the industry of sex trafficking. It's exploitation. It's the industry of sex trafficking, and it's happens all over the world where boys and girls, men and women, are exploited, are taken advantage of, and are used for the purpose of somebody else getting rich and for the purpose of somebody else having pleasure. And it's against their will. They're put into slavery. Here are some numbers. Up to 4.5 million of trafficked persons are sexually exploited, are sexually used against their will for there's millions and millions more that are used for other reasons, but 4.5 million of people that are put into slavery are used for sex. Up to 300,000 Americans under the age of 18 are lured into the commercial sex trade every year. Over 300,000 Americans. And I wanted to use that example for us to just think about that. This is what we do as human beings, as flawed, sinful human beings, those who are not submitted to Christ, this is the, the far end of where it takes us, is that we can get to the point, people will get to the point where they can look at another human being and not see them for the, their, their value and who they are made in the image of God, and they can say that they are just somebody that's used to give me pleasure. They're, they're, they're just like an object that I can buy and sell, make money off of, or they're just an object that, that can give me pleasure. That's the extreme end of this mindset. People fight for position and power and possessions, and they will use people to get that, that, that power and those possessions, and they will use people 
for their own end. That's who we are as human beings. That's the result of the curse of sin. And that's what we see even in subtle ways with these disciples. I'm going to maneuver. I'm going to, I'm going to manipulate my way, and I'm going to use my mom. I'm going to use my sons, and we're going to get in to have favor with Jesus, with a leader. What does God say about people? God's word says this in Psalms 139. This is a psalmist speaking about being made in the image of God. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Do you see that picture? There's detail. There's intricate detail. There's beauty. It's this idea that when you were in your mother's womb, it's the miracle of life. That before the world ever began, that you were in the mind of God. That you are precious and valuable, not because of what you do, not because of what you accomplish, not because of how you look, not because of what you can do for others. The human beings are, intric- are, are, are intrinsically, at a basic level, they are valuable because we're made in the image of God. That means that God took time to put you on the earth because he wants others to see another angle or another facet of who he is reflected in your life. You're valuable. You're precious. And the temptation that comes with sin is that, that we, wanna, we, we want to destroy that image. We want to tear down that image so that we can be better, be best. I just, just want to warn you. I want you to think about that in your life. Think about the people that you relate to in your life. Don't ever, don't ever use somebody to step on them to get a step up in your peer group. It's not worth it because that person you're stepping on is made in the image of God just like you are. Don't ever feel like just because you, you tell somebody a joke and you make fun of somebody and it makes you look like you're funny and you're great and you're, and, and you're kind of the cool person in the crowd. You did it at the expense of somebody that isn't made in the image of God just like you are. People are precious. They're valuable. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Powerful. That's who you are. You're made in the image of God. You're precious and you're valuable. And so this is what we see in Mark 9 and Mark 10. We see the disciples. They demonstrate for us really clearly. And look, you go through Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see story after story of the disciples being flawed. You look at the, at the apostle Peter. Listen, the apostle Peter, he denied Jesus Christ. He walked with him. He walked with him for over three years, and at the end of Jesus' life, he denied that he even knew him three times. But the the apostle Peter was restored. The apostle Peter, in the book of Acts, preached the first sermon in the first church that was ever, the first Christian church to ever be birthed, to ever be opened up. Peter, he's the same, same one who denied Jesus Christ. So you see flawed human beings throughout the gospel. And that's who we are. We're flawed. And this is what we do. These are the traps we fall into. And so we're building up because we want to see a picture of Christ. We want to see who Christ is more clearly. And so human beings, what what do we do? We fight for position and power because we think in position and power and possessions that that's what makes us great. Don't believe that. Don't believe that lie. Secondly, we, we are tempted to step on other people and to use them to get position and power and possession. 
But we all have to always remember that people are precious. And so what does Jesus do? By contrast, who is Jesus? Let's look at Mark 10. Here's the third story here. So let's just keep it in context here. The disciples had argued on the way to Capernaum, who's going to be the greatest? James and John in Mark 10 said, hey, I got a plan. We got a plan. We got an inside track, and we're going to get to Jesus because he's our family. And we're going to use each other to get our family into position of power. And then Jesus goes, we see Mark 10. And he explains to them that if you want to be the greatest, you got to be a servant. He puts James and John and, his, and, and their mother in their place. And then this happens in Mark 10. And we get to see the heart of Christ in contrast to who we are and what, what we're tempted to become. Mark 10, and they came to Jericho. And, he, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, blind Bart, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that, he, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, because he had heard that Jesus of Nazareth was a miracle worker. So, so he, he was blind. He had another man with him. There was two blind beggars. And another account in the Gospels shows this. But it says that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, he began to yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him including his disciples. They rebuked him, telling him, be silent. You can't come to Jesus. You can't come to Jesus. Be silent. But he cried out all the more. Why? Because he had no hope in this life. He was a blind beggar, and he knew that Jesus was his hope. And many rebuked him, but he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Because that's what Jesus does. He, he, he's got a plan. He's going to the cross. He's going to be crucified for all of our sins, but he stops because he, his greatest agenda is people. His greatest agenda is not success and power and position and fame and possessions. His greatest, his greatest agenda is people, and Jesus stops. When, when Jesus hears somebody, the heart of somebody crying out for help, Jesus will stop. He stops because he's different than we are. Thank God Jesus is different. Than, than we are, right? Thank God. He's different than us. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. Some other translations say, the master is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, this is an interesting picture here, this blind man, this cloak that this blind Bartimaeus would have worn, it would have been a symbol for all around him to know that he was blind. It was a symbol of his sickness. It was a symbol of who he was in the culture. He was a reject. He was an outcast because he couldn't provide for himself. He couldn't take care of himself because he was blind. He had to beg for money. But he dropped the symbol of his sickness. He dropped the symbol of who he was viewed as in the culture. He dropped it. And he came to Jesus. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And this is my third point. People will fight for position and power. And people will use others to get what they want. But what does Jesus, point three, Jesus will ask, what do you want me to do for you? That's what Jesus asked. What did James and John say to Jesus? We want you to do for us whatever we want. It's about us. It's about what we want. It's about our desires. What, what, what does Jesus say? What do you want me to do for you? He had a different agenda. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. 
And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus cares for the outsiders. He cares for the outcasts. He cares for the ones that are overlooked. He cares for the ones that don't make the team. He cares for the, one that, that he cares for the ones that are not the most articulate. He cares for the one that, 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 that doesn't have all the giftings and the talents that's not on the worship team, that's not, that's not starting on the basketball team or the soccer team or the football team. He cares for the ones that, that are the butt of the jokes. He cares for the ones that society overlooks. Jesus didn't need to fight for power because he was power personified. He was power in person. He was perfect power in person. He didn't come to use people for his own agenda. He came because people were, was his agenda. He didn't come for his own agenda. He came because people were his agenda. That's why he came. Because people matter. People aren't just a means to an end. This is who Jesus is. This is the beauty of Christ. But here's, here's the truth. Let's think about the fact that you and I, all of us, we're like those disciples. We need help. We need help. We need salvation. We need to be healed spiritually. We need our soul to be saved. We need to be cleansed and forgiven of our sins because if we're not right with God, we can never become like Christ. It's impossible for you in your own strength to consistently live out being gracious to your friends and to your brother or your sister. It's impossible in your own strength to be who God's called you to be unless you follow Christ unless you repent of your sins. And so here's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came for a specific type of person. He didn't come for those who had it all together. He didn't come for those who were perfect, who were people that were, that were trying to get their own power and possessions and influence and fighting for it and stepping on other people's necks. He didn't come, he didn't come just for those people who have it all together, who think they have it all together. Actually, he came for them but he came for them in a way that they didn't think he was coming. Who did he come for? He came for a certain kind of person. This is what Mark 2 says. You would have studied this earlier in the, in the book of Mark. And as Jesus reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, these were the ones who thought that they had it all together, that they were the ones that were in the positions of power and influence, and they looked down on the tax collectors and the sinners. And the tax collector was considered in Jewish times one of the greatest sinners because they were stealing money from their own people. So for Jesus to sit with tax collectors and sinners, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, he, they, they said to his disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a doctor. Those that are well, they don't need a doctor. If you're not sick, why do you need, you don't need a doctor. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's the hope. All of us, if we get tempted in our life to, to, to pursue position and power and possessions over Christ, if we get tempted to put our, our foot on people's necks and, and, and put them down to make ourselves feel better, there's hope for us that we can become like Christ because Christ came for us as sinners. He came to forgive us of our sins. He came to make us clean. He came to give us hope for eternity. He came to give us hope in this life. And so that 
when we place our faith in Christ, we can become like him. I just want to tell you this. You can, you can be the person in your family, at your school. You can be the person at, at your school that just loves everybody. You want to be that? You can't do it without Christ. Be that person. I spoke at the Homer Christian uh, graduation a couple years ago. I was talking about the, the premise of my talk to the graduates. Basically, here's what I would want to tell my kids when they graduate high school. And these are things that will take you far in life. And one of my points was this. Be kind. It will take you far in life if you're just kind to one another. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God. And even if somebody gets on your nerves and you don't really like them very much, you can rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to be kind, to be forgiving. Because what's the truth? That at one point we all need forgiveness. At one point in our life we've gotten on someone else's nerve, right? People are valuable. And we know it because we have value. And we want others to to value us. We must see people the way God sees people. Our prayer should be that God would help us to see people the way Jesus does. It can only come through Christ. If you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ and you try to just apply what I'm telling you, just be kind, be good to people, love them, you're going to continue in this pattern of struggling to do that. you got to have Christ at the center of your heart. You have to become a Christian. You got to repent of your sins. Make Jesus the Lord of your life and say, Lord, from this point on in my life, I'm going to see, I want to see people the way that you do, as precious and valuable, even the ones that aren't lovely, even the ones that are annoying from time to time. I want to see them the way that you do, that, they're, that, that they are precious and valuable because they're made in your image. That should be our prayer, that we would see people the way God does, the way Jesus does. I want to end with this verse here. Um, it's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. My wife always makes fun of me because I try to make a way for this verse in a lot of my messages. I haven't done it in a while, so I figured I would do it here tonight because I think it fits. You know, Jesus was rejected by the people he came to. He was a Jew. He came first to the Jew, his Jewish people. He came to preach repentance. He came for them bring salvation to them but they rejected him they were ultimately the group of people his family the group of people his people that crucified him and he came to them he came to them over and over again he came and he loved them just like blind Bartimaeus just like the woman at the well just like Nicodemus just like over and over again story after story just like the the man with the withered hand Just over and over again, he showed compassion. He did miracles. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He came with compassion for these people, for the Jewish nation. And what did they do? They rejected him over and over and over and over again. And ultimately to the ultimate rejection that they crucified him on a cross. So we need to pray that we can see people, even the ones that don't like us and hate us. We need to pray that God will help us to see them the way Jesus saw them. So how did Jesus see the ones that hated him? How did Jesus see the ones that rejected him? Matthew 23, the whole section in Matthew 23, if you read it from the beginning of the chapter, Matthew 23 is called the chapter of woe, W-O-E, woe. And it's, it's, it's like a chapter of judgment. 
It's a chapter of judgment where Jesus is calling out judgment on the nation of Israel. And he says over and over again, judgment on you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you're hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you dress up on the outside like you are holy and righteous, but on the inside you're not. Over and over again, he's, he's rebuking them and rebuking them. And look what it, he culminates in Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jeru- oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And anytime you see in scripture where words are doubled, back-to-back words, because the writer could have just put, oh, Jerusalem. But he put, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The translators put that in there for emphasis, for the purpose of saying that it is, it is the cry, it is a heart cry, it is a loud declaration here that Jesus is making, calling out to these Pharisees, to these enemies of his that have rejected him. Oh, oh Jerusalem, speaking to his people. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city, the, the people that kill the prophets. He was a prophet of God coming to speak the truth. They kill the prophets and they stone those who are sent to it. But what is the heart of Jesus? How often would I have gathered your children together? He's painting a picture here. How often I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her her chicks under her wings. This is what Jesus is saying. He's giving them a picture. How often I wanted you to pull you to myself and comfort you and love you, but you were not willing. He says, I've longed for you. This is how Jesus saw even his enemies. So that's what I want us to take away with here this evening. Who is Jesus? Jesus is perfectly righteous. Jesus is perfectly good. Jesus is the risen son of God. He's the savior of the world. And Jesus is love. Jesus is grace. Jesus Jesus sees you for who you are. And he he loves you. And he wants you to know that you're precious, that you're valuable, that you're needed, that he has a plan for your life. And that's who Jesus is. So I want to pray for you tonight. Won't Won't you close your eyes? This is who Jesus is. I think some of you here this evening, some of you this here this evening have been feeling overlooked, have been feeling rejected, have been feeling the effect of people, just like those flawed disciples, feeling the effect of people in your life that are using you for their own pleasure, whether it's making fun of you so they can feel popular. People are are fighting for position and power in your life, and you're being left to the side. And some of you here tonight, you need to be reminded and told that that you are valuable, that you are made in God's image, that that you have a calling on your life. You've been feeling rejected and overlooked and discouraged. Maybe some of you here tonight, you cry at night because you feel like, I don't have any friends. I have nobody, nobody that loves me. Nobody cares for me, takes the time to love me. And I I just want to, I want us to pray for you tonight. Maybe some of you here tonight, you, you're not in relationship with, with Jesus. And you want to do that tonight. You want to commit your life to Christ, whatever it is. But specifically, you want somebody to pray with you because you've been struggling with feeling like that your life is valuable and has purpose. And it may only be a couple of people. And that's fine. This is a safe place. It's just us here. So if I could get a couple of e-group leaders to, to come down. Come and get prayer. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. Come and get prayer from your e-group leader. If that's you here tonight and you want prayer, you've been, and, and, and if it's any other area, it may not be 
what, what I'm calling for. But if you need prayer for anything or specifically for what I preached about, that you need to be reminded that God loves you, that, that, that you're precious, that you're valuable, that God has a purpose for you, that's you. Won't you come down and get prayer?
example that Jesus set. He was never too busy to stop. He never had an agenda that overlooked someone. He was never too preoccupied with business that he missed out on people. Lord, I pray that we will give up our struggle and we will just serve. Not because of our own merit, not because of some sort of self-help, but Lord, because your Holy Spirit is in us and you're chiseling away those things that are not of you. Let us love unconditionally. Let us serve selflessly. Let us make you and other people a priority over ourselves as habit. Lord, break our hearts for the people around us. Give us a renewed passion. Holy Spirit, be you through us. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who came and was prayed for. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who stayed in their seats, Lord, and still turned their hearts to you. And Lord, anyone that's just kind of waiting for this to be over, Lord, I, I thank you for them too. Thank you, Lord, that they waited patiently. And Lord, I pray that you're ministering to everyone in this room, to everyone who has ears, that you're planting seeds. Thank you, Lord, that your love is unconditional that it reaches out to all of us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in here that feels like they don't have a friend, they don't have someone that they can talk to and be transparent with, Lord, that you're going to send people into their lives, maybe from across the room, maybe from across the school, or from across the country. Lord, you're going to send people to hold each other up, to encourage them, to give them rich friendships. Lord, forgive us whenever we overlook friendship opportunities because we're putting ourselves over somebody in our minds. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Jesus, have your way in hearts tonight. Jesus, holy and precious name.